How important do you think streaks are in life? So like you have this running streak, almost 3000 days. Um, I subscribe to like running almost 3000, right? You're like 2,700. I mean, you're almost, we're almost speaking in years now. It's been so long. Tim. Well, it is because if you're talking about my run streak, then that started. Uh, I'm coming up on my birthday. What other streak? I'm, what other streak do you have, dude? You don't even want to know. You just don't even. I, I, I've, I'm starting to shed streaks because it weighs too much mentally in my head when I'm trying to sleep at night. Like, did I do this? Did I do this? Did I not do that? And I'll wake up at like three in the really? morning, and then you're like, "Why did you send me a, an email at three in the morning?" So you're. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. Okay, well that's interesting. Um, but. You have that rower machine. Do you, you don't do streaks on that, right? Dude, no, that, I, I I made the conscious decision, man. That I, this not is to. not another a streak that I can start. I do. I, I I do it my I do it three or three or four days a week. I, I have a meter goal that I have. So depending on if I'm getting after it, then I can do it in three rows. Sometimes I need the fourth. But how many streaks do you think you actually have? <sighs> Because to, to me, I'm learning about this. Today. I have one. I'm learning this from you today. Like I thought you only had one. So this is very interesting. Yeah. I um dozens. I I, I haven't no, 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 no. I have at least three. Okay. Well, and then, it, no, they, yeah. I mean it's do they stack on each other? Like do they are they do they have anything to do with each other? Uh well one is um so one is running. Yeah. So the, I guess the other one that stacks on it is, is the, is my Apple watch, uh, closing rings thing. I mean, that's, I'm at 2,495 days in a row for that. Um, no, no, today was 2000. Well, what are the things on that? Isn't it just running? Uh, it's your standing hours, your exercise minutes and your total calories burned. But the problem with that man is that they just keep on ratcheting it up, you know, sort of like, Oh, you, you know I mean? So like, and then there's monthly challenges and all that stuff, dude. Matter of fact, now that you mentioned this, Zach, I um, we are in June now. Last month in May was the first month that I didn't do a half marathon, and probably it's been a long time. Like, I don't know. I did a half a marathon and a half. three months straight this year. Then I got to April, didn't do yeah. one. Got to May, didn't do one. Now we're in June, not going to do one. So well, you know what? We're starting a new streak called the No Half Marathon Streaks. That's, uh, but that, but therein lies the issue. You know, it's like for me, once I break that streak, then it just keeps on going, you know, and well, it's it, goes, like, it becomes yeah, the wrong way, right? The wrong way. Correct. I do think streaks are important. I think that everyone should have at least one streak to go by, whatever that thing be, because I think it makes you, it gives you something to do, right? And so maybe it's, um, well, I remember even like with the show, like it was like, okay, get 10 downloads a day, right? And so that's always the goal, get 10 downloads a day. And people are like, well, that's not enough. Well, you know what? If you can get 10 downloads a day, I don't know what 10 times 365 is, but it seems like that's 3,600. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because something a day. What I, I don't remember know when you started running, and I was like, "Dude, soon enough, your long runs will become your regular runs." And so this, the, like, when we started this podcast, this is very similar. It was like, "Whoa, we hit ten loud downloads this day," and you know, so what once was the high water mark now it becomes like really disappointing if that's if that's the number that we get. So. 
incrementally we continue to, to climb up the charts uh, and the show just continues to gain traction, but it's hard. I'm not sure what the correct terminology is on this, but you, I mean, you, you just said it. it's like figuring out that thing that used to be hard becomes the norm becomes easy. Like everything in life gets better. The more repetition you do, right. The more, the more compounding interest of that yep. thing that you do. And, and it's, maybe that's the word reps. Maybe it's compound interest. I feel like if, if 2022 is the year of a word, it's repetition. I feel like that's the word that comes I've up. I've used it a lot. Every single, single day. Just like trying to pronounce someone's last name. Dennis Perot, how are you? Dennis. I'm doing great. You got What's it. happened? <laughs> <laughs> Man, so early in the day, Zach's already got a win under his belt. Life is good. I made the bed today. I didn't really make the bed, but you know, some people say if you make the bed, that's the best for. I think that's ridiculous, but whatever. Um, <laughs> Let's just start the day that way. Stanley General Stanley McChrystal, make yeah. your bed. Well, thank you, uh, General Stanley McChrystal, for. Uh, I think it was him. That's that's a book, right? He actually made a book about it or wrote a book about it, I believe. Uh, I don't think that's the title, but that is one of the one of his taglines. I think. Yeah. Mm. Dennis, I've, I do I know you. Uh, yeah, we met down uh, at some of the pitch events down in uh, Virginia Beach, I want to say two and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been a, been a little bit. What How pitch event been? was that? Say again? What pitch event was that? Uh, that so that was the, uh, the, the practice sessions ramping up to uh, Stark Peninsula. Got it. Uh, the end of your competition. So uh, that's when I was trying to just kind of see what was going on in the, the startup scene uh, after moving back from Northern Virginia. Uh, and yeah, been trying to stay plugged in ever since. And, uh, and that now I'm, now I'm trying to leverage the, the community and the, the amazing you know support ecosystem that we have here. What, uh, tell us about what it is that you're doing. What love to hear about the, the idea that, uh, that that's swimming around your head that you're trying to kick off. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm a 23 years you know, military veteran, uh, Navy uh, right out of high school, uh, and then Air National Guard uh, for 13, almost 14 years, and now I'm Air Force Reservist. But most of that time I've spent uh, in the, I guess you could call it the you know the, the intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance realm. So collecting information and transforming that information into uh, uh, you know decision quality uh, support. So. Uh, Kind of dabbled for a while, explored different things. I've always been uh, entrepreneurial minded uh, ever since, you know, watching my dad kind of run a couple businesses out of the house when I was a kid. Uh, so uh, finally stumbled into the, you know, the idea of, you know, becoming a commercial drone pilot. Uh, got my own drone and did some side jobs over the past year or two. Uh, launched that as a result of my master's program with the University of Maryland, which was a, a master's in technology entrepreneurship. And I figured I'm not just going to study entrepreneurship. I want to like I want to do it. So um, I'll use the the program to actually launch a business and and get uh, something real going instead of just a you know papers and, and projects. Uh, so I'm at the point now where uh, I don't really just want to have a you know side hustle or a lifestyle business. Uh, I see a lot of demand for translating the things I've done uh, and supported in the military around information. Uh, super 
uh, important for what we're trying to do with industry, with remote sensing, using uh, either satellites or drones, the expansion of the drone market. Uh, there's just uh, an amazing range of data sources that people can get access to in the remote sensing realm and a lot of applications for it. So I've selected agriculture uh, because of a lot of the parallels as essentially a beachhead uh, market where drones are, are ripe for uh, exploitation in that uh, industry. Uh, remote sensing from space is improving. Uh, and there's a lot of the same challenges from that the military is trying to overcome that agriculture needs to overcome, which is how do I decide what to use? How do I make it decision ready so a farmer doesn't have to know anything about how the data is getting to him? It's just information and decision ready information. So uh, that's Pixlers aimed at that <clears throat> intersection of remote sensing imagery uh, and focused on the agriculture industry as uh, as the first uh, space to move into. Interesting. So, I, go ahead. One of the things that I I probably first learned 2012 timeframe, there was a company at the time, it was called TugCam. And you might remember this, Tim. Yeah. Then they rebranded to GMES, which then I think they're now Nataris. Rebrandings is ridiculous. But they saw... Um, from a camera perspective, not drones, it would be smart for a barge, a tugboat, to have a camera on the end of it instead of people walkie-talking back and forth to each other. What's interesting is that oftentimes the founder, who may have some sort of um, uh, experience in that world, that doesn't always equate to that business or the businesses that would be leveraging that service, if you will, getting them to actually pull the trigger and, and, and buying that service. So what's interesting is I, I hear similar things in what you're doing to what they were doing and their biggest challenge. And probably still to this day is getting those people, getting those businesses, getting those construction sites, those tug cams, those, those, those barges to actually start using the thing that makes a lot more sense how are you getting these industries that have done it the exact same way? I'm saying that as, as a novice in this world to actually start to, to use and capitalize on it because sometimes things that make sense have really, really difficult times of adoption. Um, and what are you doing to, to try to combat that? No, yeah, that, that's a really good point because part of one of the parallels that I see between the military uh, you know, government in general and agriculture is uh, there's a lot of momentum. There's a lot of, uh, I guess you could call it sunk cost. Uh, and, you know, to convert your your operational equipment on a farm to be uh, precision agriculture ready uh, to disperse, you know, water or fertilizer exactly where it's needed, that you have to kind of continue to, to uh, you know, tech refresh and, and replace equipment. Uh, and that is slow in an industry like agriculture. Uh, it just very similar to the way DOD uh, is often, you know, five to 10 years behind commercial uh, industry with adoption of technology. Uh, what I'll say is that the, the uh, Pixlr is not the first to try to uh, address this uh, data uh, triage uh, and support problem for agriculture. There's, uh, you know, the Satellite companies like Planet and uh, Earth Observation Systems, Black Sky, there's, they're already trying to tailor their imagery support to agriculture. Uh, and then drones uh, are starting to move into the agriculture space. 
uh, you know, we get, you know, drone up here that the agriculture missions is one of the mission sets within their platform that you can do. Uh, and there's multiple other uh, pilot networks that uh, do agriculture missions, but the, the demand is now shifting because of what we're seeing with the costs in the, uh, the input costs is what farmers call it with, you know, herbicides, pesticides, fuel, uh, and most importantly, right now, uh, fertilizer and nitrogen, the costs are like more than double what they were just a year ago, uh, partly because of COVID supply chains, uh, you know, uh, tariffs because of what's going on with, you know, Russia versus Ukraine. So the input costs are essentially a plague on farmers right now and everything they can do to bring those input costs down, uh, referred to as precision agriculture, apply it only where needed and when needed instead of generally all the time everywhere. Uh, they need information to make those decisions and remote sensing from space uh, and uh, I think increasingly from drones is helping them get the information they need about their crop status so they can uh, apply selectively uh, and save significant amount of input uh, costs. Is there currently um, infrastructure in space that you can tap into and leverage? Yes, definitely. Yep. Uh, so Planet uh, has probably one of the, the leading providers. So they operate uh, constellations of satellites uh, and they just put, uh, I think they have like a, a, almost 130 now. And they just put, uh, they're putting up six to eight more, I think is what I heard, that are going to be uh, better spectral uh, uh, detection. So instead of collecting in like four bands of the uh, light spectrum, they're collecting in eight. Uh, and that gives them a better ability to detect uh, non-visible, so uh, infrared, uh, and that's part of the spectrum. They call it near red edge, where you can actually, that's where you can get some really good detections of the, the health of a crop. Uh, so yeah, the, the, the technology is there. It's the, it's the same challenge that we face everywhere, where the, the the data is becoming more and more available, uh, and some of the costs are going are going down. But the the technical hurdle to tailor that in a way that makes it easy for farmers to use, so they don't have to uh, become a you know imagery analyst or you know a data scientist in any way to make use of it. Uh, mm -hmm. That is the change that's happening right now, uh, not just in agriculture but multiple industries. How fast are they pinging those cameras, or how 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 often? So uh, Planet uh, likes to highlight that they can image the entire Earth every day uh, with mm -hmm. their entire constellation. Uh, you know, EOS or Earth Observation uh, System, I think they are uh, less frequent than that. But basically, you can, uh, depending on cloud cover and some variables, you can pretty much get your crop uh, imaged uh, almost every day. Uh, and then not... What, I, what we want to help uh, do is not just deliver imagery to a farmer, but just the detections that they care about so that they can go confirm and validate what the, tech, the detection is telling them might be a problem uh, and then make a decision off of that. And as they build trust in what those detections are telling them, then they'll start to make decisions before you know personally driving out there or walking out there to validate. Uh, that's the trust phase that the industry is in right now, the adoption and then developing trust and what those detections are telling them is the I'm, I'm curious if the um like the the overall median age of farmers today is, is that is that getting younger uh so and with younger farmers are they more likely to adopt new technology um 
Yeah, it's I think just, there are. I think the, the average farmer age, uh, if I remember uh, correctly, is still uh, 52 or 56. I think is the number that I saw uh, just last week. Uh, so still, still, uh, you know, the I guess you could say not not the emerging generation, but the prior generation. Uh, I, I think the the market dynamics and the and these cost factors, which are going to last beyond just this year. Are going to drive a lot of that change and a lot of that that pursuit of adoption of these services, uh, but the the newer generation. So uh, you wouldn't think that a lot of farmers would be on you know tools like Instagram, but there are a lot of farmers that are have Instagram profiles, Facebook profiles, and they're they're trying to learn from other people. Uh, and really, that is kind of the network where the the best practices and the, the technology you know, adoption is going to I think permeate. So I think it is that that younger generation my age or a little bit younger uh, that is going to really drive this adoption. It's farming today to me is really, it's becoming really interesting. Um, especially like if you, uh, for, for example, you get a lot of people that are really upset about all of the different uh, solar farms that are going in uh, all the wind turbines that are going in uh, and people get really, really bent out of shape about this. They're like, man, this, I, I can't stand when I see this stuff. It just makes me so aggravated when the reality of it is, it's like, this is the farmer's land and the farmer makes more money leasing those solar, you know, that space for solar uh, farms and wind turbines than they would if they were producing crops. So it's just, yeah, I mean, it's just, these people can get upset, but it's the farmer's decision and, you know, it's the farmer's land to do what, uh, whatever they want with it. But it's just fascinating that to me that the farmers now are facing these decisions on what to do, um, especially as you said, with fertilizer costs being as high as they are. I mean, the, it's just really tough to turn a profit now on, on agriculture. Yeah. And so the, one of the other markets that you could say is kind of layered on top of agriculture is, uh, you know, the, the carbon market. So there's, right. there's a lot of movement uh, afoot with, uh, farmers essentially being paid for their sustainable agricultural approaches to provide credits into that market that Correct. other, you know, other you know, businesses can essentially purchase. Uh, I don't know how, uh, you know, converting, you know, a field over to a solar field instead of a crop field uh, factors into that or not. But uh, yeah, I think there's uh, one of the things that I, I kind of am, seeing i guess maybe it's a hypothesis maybe it's a maybe it's a vision but i kind of view what's happening with agriculture right now as it's becoming a technology industry uh not just you know a machine run industry uh and you know whether it's data analytics you know autonomy uh, autonomous drone systems which is something i'm uh, looking into right now because i think that is one of the ways that drone uh, service adoption for crop scouting is, is going to emerge uh Farmers are going to, in a lot of ways, become technologists uh, in ways that we uh, traditionally didn't think about them as. And uh, one that, you know, you could almost foresee a time when farmers are not just storing, you know, their their fuel and their, you know, fertilizers and their, you know, their grain, but they're also storing data with their own data hub uh, to support their own local analytics because of lack of connectivity. I see you with your SpaceX T-shirt. Uh, at some point, a lot of these inland farms are going to, they're probably, if they're not already going to start buying, uh, you know, Starlink so that they can have high, uh, high connectivity so that they can get their data in and out. 
Uh, yeah, th there's a big transformation wave I think is happening with agriculture, uh, and that's that's a part of the the transformation I'm trying to uh, support and become a part of. Yeah, I mean it's fascinating, Zach. If you're not aware, uh, or in the audience, just the whole carbon uh, credit program is really really interesting, and it's almost kind of a mess just in terms of uh, accountability and how they track. So if you, if you have a company that that produces a lot of carbon, a lot of pollutants. Uh, what they can do then is they can buy these credits from, so if somebody plants X amount of trees, somebody puts up renewable energy, they buy those credits to then offset the carbon that they're putting into the air. Um, and so that's how a lot of these companies then strive to become carbon neutral. Uh, it, it, it's just, it, it, so there's a lot of questions right now in terms of like what's counted, what's double counted, are things being double, triple counted? I mean, it's just, it's, it's really interesting, but yeah, that's where the, uh, the farmers are able to uh, generate additional revenues is through this, uh, through the, the carbon cr buyback credit program. It's interesting. Yeah. I have been fascinated with, you know, there's a lot of ads around that. Like, well, you know, by 2030, 2040, we'll be mm -hmm. carbon, whatever. We'll just get carbon neutral. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah. I've done zero studying into this, but um, when I think about, not studying, researching into this, but you know, when I think about some of the companies that you're that you're seeing these advertisements for, these commercials from, you're like, well, they got pretty big plants that are in pretty big warehouses. This will be interesting to see how they do some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, I also it, it. It, it and nothing to do with carbon, I don't think, but like there's a lot of food industry too that talking about being um I can't remember what the their terminology is too, but um talking about how long it's going to take for them to kind of, I guess, change the life cycle of the stuff that they've been doing forever. And uh, I think Panera may have been, might've been one of the first companies that, that did this, but uh, you know, I think their stuff was like by 2025, we're going to be whatever their terminology was. And that was interesting. And then you hear stuff like the Mac shack. That's like 15 years from that, which is really interesting. Mac shack is McDonald's, you know, the home of the big Mac. Um, how long it's going to take for 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 something like that to come to fruition? It's it's just interesting to to look at that kind of stuff and and to see. Um, yeah. So Dennis, let, let's say that you're um, you you approach a farmer. What's the pitch to them? What do you what are you selling to them? What what how do you how do you get them to come on board and and get them to adopt? So basically, the the, the general pitch is that the the crop uh, monitoring services should be. As simple as picking up your phone and scrolling, you know, social media. You should get alerts, uh, check the alerts, and and if you want to verify the information that that it's telling you, you can actually look at the actual imagery that the detection is coming from. Uh, but part of what what I wanted, to, like I mentioned, there's other players already uh, supporting this this space with crop, you know, detection, especially with space uh, sensors. Uh, I think what I'm seeing is that the it's it's more data centric than it is people-centric. Uh, and I want to put people back in the, in the center of the equation and make it more personable and approachable, which is uh, basically that background in the military has all been about translating you know, intelligence information or sensor information into what does this actually mean to me? Uh, so that the customer really uh, eventually of, of what, what we want to build is probably going to be agronomists, which are essentially analysts and consultants for farmers, uh, because that person becomes the trusted advisor to a network of farmers and farms. Uh, and it's that person to person dialogue that we're essentially gonna be informing uh, 
So, uh, but it'll be web-based, you know, mobile app, uh, you know, human-centric. So discussions and chat and collaboration around what the detections are saying. Uh, and then uh, another aspect is the ability to task or ask for additional sensing or support uh, from either an advisor or a, a network of, uh, of people or uh, re requesting drone pilots to come and do localized high, high resolution crop scouting to verify what uh, lower resolution satellites are saying. So, uh, but yes, it's all about putting something in the hand, uh, the hand of a farmer uh, that doesn't just give them data, but connects them to the people who can tell them what that data means and uh, get, you know, go from there and try to, I see that same use case, that same uh, essentially digital support consulting uh, across a, a range of industries. Uh, so mm -hmm. farming is, uh, I think, one of the most ripe uh, and, and at high needs. Uh, but that same relationship is needed in, in other areas. There's a consumer-based app out there. Uh, there's a consumer-based solution out there called Sunday Lawn. And a little bit of the things that you're talking about seem similar to me. So if you go to Sunday, are you familiar with Sunday? I'm not. Okay, so... Um, the, the typical use case, I think, for the standard American homeowner is you go to Home Depot, you buy some stuff for your, um, you buy some seeds for your lawn, you put it down, you water it, whatever. Sunday does all that stuff, but they take a picture from the satellite. They say, this is your lawn. We think that this is what your lawn is. But what's interesting is they still make you send in a piece of soil to them to analyze how, what is it again? What is it? What's the difference between kind of the soil that that is from my lawn compared to the the farmer that an image is going to do differently um, from from your aspect of it? Because in their case, you know, they're they're telling you, hey, these are the things that you need to do to the actual soil, to the lawn, to whatever. It seems similar, again, novice in this world, to when uh, a farmer would need they would want them to look at the soil, the actual crop, whatever. What does an aerial image do that's different than actually going and expecting the, the actual crop uh, and touching and, and, and all that jazz? Yep. So that's where the, the relationship between satellite imaging uh, and drone imaging, I think, comes in. Because from space, you may know that there's a problem in an area of a crop. Uh, but with a drone, especially a drone flying a high, what's called a, a multispectral camera uh, that collects in you know, multiple bands. So there, there's a, like the Phantom 4, they just put out a multispectral sensor drone that collects in, uh, it uses six different cameras and it measures some of that infrared uh, and other areas of the spectrum. But that spectrum measurement, especially high resolution with a drone, you can, you can now start to measure uh, even gases that are uh, emitting from the soil. And that can tell you things about what's going on in the soil. Uh, you can, if you're flying you know, low enough, you can actually start to use computer vision to detect pests. You know, if they're on top of the crops, you can easily spot some of those things or at least the evidence of, uh, of pests. Uh, but that, that multispectral and then there's hyperspectral is where you can really start to measure the signatures of specific things that are uh, on the soil, on the crops, or, or like I said, gases being emitted from the soil. Uh, farmers are still going to need the soil detections, and there are companies out there that are building sensors that you, you essentially can leave out in your soil to measure things like, you know, water retention uh, and some of those uh, other things. You, you can still do sampling to identify uh, do essentially DNA testing of 
uh, you know, the living you know, organisms that are in the soil to know whether or not that profile is helpful or, or harmful to what you're trying to grow. Uh, what farmers are, are starting to do, like I said earlier, that becoming essentially a digital industry, they want to collect all of the sensor data, but not manually have to integrate it. So they, they have, you know, farm management uh, platforms that they're using uh, to bring all that data together and view it essentially geospatially in a map. Uh, and then, you know, some farmers may understand all that stuff, you know, well enough to, to make all the decisions on their own. Some may work with an agronomist or uh, ag service provider to help determine what, what does this mean and what should I do about it? What Pixlr is going to do is help bring in that remote sensing, uh, simplify that remote sensing and drone uh, imagery services uh, and make them more tailored to what that farmer needs to, for that holistic picture uh, and then responsive uh, with tasking and requesting additional either satellite imagery, drone imagery, or even, you know, you could even request uh, crop scouting, uh, you know, by a person if that farmer leverages a, leverages a team. Uh, so there's a lot of different ways that, the, that these things will intersect. And it's, it's interesting to me. I have so many questions that, uh, that I want to get to, but like in, in terms of pricing, you're super early. You, you may not, you probably haven't even figured out the pricing aspect of it. But the reason I'm curious about pricing is because this is one of these things where this being big data, it's going to, you're going to have to establish that baseline. And, and the more you feed the machine, so to speak, the better the results are going to be. So it's like, how do you price this thing in a way so that you know, a farmer is not going to see the same results after 30 days, you know, and then 90 days, it's going to be way, a, a, a much clearer picture what to do. And then when you get multiple years, there's even going to be a clearer picture still. Um, it just, the, the, it's fascinating to me. Have you put any thought into, is this going to be a monthly SaaS pricing or uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, basically, it'll, it'll start out with a, a it's a, a SaaS model uh, with you know additional uh, fees on top of that for by request things. So it, essentially, you can you can get a baseline set of uh, data layers, uh, you know, from some of the satellite uh, detection information, which is essentially the table stakes for anybody that's trying to provide this type of support. Uh, but then that ability to request. Uh, additional satellite collection uh, beyond that baseline or or submit a request that then gets brokered to uh, some of the drone pilot uh, networks and platforms to task a drone pilot. Those will, those will be by, by request costs. So that, that I'm still going to work out what that pricing model will look like, uh, what the supply and demand, especially when you start looking at uh, you know rural areas where there's not going to be a lot of drone pilots, uh, there's going to be a lot of variability in that cost based off supply. Sure. And I mean, I would think that like one of the biggest areas other than like just overall crop health, but another area that would be really, really beneficial to the farmer would be these day by day updates or predictive analysis in terms of because when the when the crops are all ready to be harvested, that has to happen really, really quick. So then you can gear, especially now with labor being so challenging that you can help the farmer predict when these crops need to be picked and harvested so that one, you're not picking too early Two, you're, you're, you're not picking too late. And then if you pick too late, that's just as bad as being early because they're just literally dying on the vine, so to speak. Uh, you know, so I think that that would be a huge, huge advantage. 
Um, what other areas are you looking at in terms of a list of services that you can provide to the farmers? Uh, so th there's a, a, a growing and vibrant data ecosystem, I'll say, around agriculture. So even you know companies like Microsoft, so with their Azure platform, they have a Farm Beats uh, service that they provide that is essentially uh, uh, Azure tailored to uh, agriculture. Uh, so essentially your own you know data platform around the agriculture data needs. Uh, so th there's different options they're not you know the only one that land db is another you know provider that does something very similar uh really it amounts to you know part of what pixlr will be doing even just to to fully launch what we're trying to build is deciding which of these are complementary which are competitive uh and and looking at that essentially value proposition of you know what's what does that cost end up looking like uh and would farmers get the value out of having that integrated uh, I'm not trying to build Pixlr to be the all-in-one agriculture, you know, you know, farm management platform. There are plenty of other great providers for that. We want to partner with those so that we can uh, help simplify the remote sensing aspects uh, and that tasking uh, aspect to bring that data in uh, more timely, you know, better tailored to uh, the needs uh, of particular farmers uh, and simplify that uh, that request to data delivery cycle that that they're going to need uh, beyond agriculture. You know, we just talked about you know solar farms. Uh, you got to monitor the solar panels uh, and uh, drone pilots do a lot of those missions now. Uh, I think when we when we have a lot more autonomous drone systems, especially like I said in rural areas, you're not going to. It may be more cost effective to have your own semi-autonomous system that that essentially just sits you know outside of a, a barn or a facility and just can fly a mission on schedule whenever you want it. Uh, there's a couple of companies that are building those types of uh, drones. Uh, I think that is probably something new that's gonna enter the agriculture space, uh, but that could support security, that could support infrastructure, that could support solar. Uh, and so when you bring autonomy in, the tasking needs to, <clears throat> it's not scheduled, the tasking needs to be handled. Uh, so if it's on request, uh, based off of a satellite image that gives you a potential detection or potential issue, that's the handoff that Pixlr is gonna to try to help handle. Do you have a specific crop set that you wanna start with? Or have you identified what would be the easiest or are you gonna start with the most difficult? Uh, so I'm, I'm gonna focus uh, you know, conveniently on Virginia. Uh, Virginia, we have 43,000 farms in Virginia. Uh, there's plenty of uh, space here within within a day's drive for me to, to kind of start local people I can actually go meet. Uh, farmers are a very personable uh, crowd. Uh, they, they like to build trust and have relationships before they buy things. Uh, so uh, we have a lot of soybeans uh, in Virginia. I went out and visited the Virginia Tech uh, Agriculture Research Extension Center out in Warsaw, Virginia, up in the Upper Peninsula. Uh, they do a lot of research on soybean, different types of soybean, uh, you know, seeds, how they do in the soil. And they also do some drone uh, de uh, detection uh, research. Uh, so uh, after seeing what they were doing, I was like, yeah, this is actually pretty drone support to agriculture is riper than I thought it was a year ago hmm. when I first uh, went out there and visited them. So uh, I think soybeans, uh, corn is probably pretty uh in demand for these types of services just because of how significant, uh, how important that crop is. 
you you are admittedly super early into this game. When do you start making decisions, put pen on paper, start legit making these things happen so that it's not just theory or hypothesis that you actually start making it happen? What's it going to take for you to start kind of making those those next decisions? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty close. So the like I said earlier, I was looking at a couple different providers uh, for the the data services and then the commercial satellite uh, providers, uh, Skywatch, uh, EOS, uh, even Planet, they provide almost out of the box ready tools that you can use to build a platform. So uh, I'm I'm basically down selecting right now which ones I'm going to, to leverage, uh, but it's that like within weeks I can have a, a Pixlr branded product ready to go where I can build upon that, the, the, the unique parts that I'm trying to add, which is that tasking, that, that human centric collaboration around what, uh, what's being delivered to the, the agronomist or the farmer. Uh, so that's part of why I'm here in uh, 757 startup studios is to get the help uh, of, of a team of you know, great people here in a network of entrepreneurs to, to kind of way find the, the shortest path through delivering something that, that provides value. Uh, and then from there, it's just iterating by learning, you know, what, what is in demand, what, you know, what are they buying? Where do the problems exist? What are the pain points that, uh, that I can pivot to, to better address? Be, being, well, I, in that, being in that, the, the startup studio, you, you say that you're looking for something there. I, all the people in there are also going through the same problem as you though. I would assume where they're super early on, they, they're not this your first business even though you've been around your dad right is that your dad's business yep. yeah this is, this yeah. is my first time uh launching a business uh like i said for a couple of years it was just commercial you know drone pilot on the side uh jobs yeah. relatively easy easy to do uh now that this is my first time trying to actually build a, a software service that i'm that how, how do you sift through the education that they provide them how do you sift through and and making sure that like you're so I, I education's great. I get it. You even said it yourself. You know, I don't just want to have an MBA or, or whatever it was from from University of Maryland, which, by the way, I think they just won the lacrosse national championship. So go Terps. Well, now we're talking about now we're talking about lacrosse. Past couple of weeks, it was football. Exactly. Football's a real f football. <laughs> football's the real love. But anyway, um, education's great. You can read a ton of books. I mean, you even just admit it. I don't just want to be a guy that like knows this stuff. I want to implement it. Right. And so how are you going to sift through all of the knowledge and education and, and the conversations that you go through and sit through and, ha and, and, and be at when actually when all reality, the most important thing is going and talking to those farmers or whoever ends up being your, your, your paying customer. Like what, what do you, what do you, what do you envision getting out of, out of a program like that? Oh, uh, it's multifaceted. So now, like I said, I did the, uh, you know, uh, Technology Entrepreneurship Masters, which in a lot of ways was, you know, kind of like a two-year uh, business incubator. Uh, it was sequential in that way that if you did start with uh, a business idea, you could leave with a business launched, uh, which is what I did. Uh, so I, I've, I've done a lot of uh, training on the side with, you know, the, the lean startup method, and uh, I actually went through the ICAP program uh, in 2020. After I finished my degree, I was like, well, let me refine this. Uh, so the ICAP program, uh, more lean startup methodology, customer discovery. Uh, and so I, I did a lot of that as well. 
uh, during that time. Uh, what I'm trying to get out of this is the the fine tuning of of the business model, uh, so that I know what to build that provides something at a cost uh, benefit formula that makes sense for this target market of uh, of agriculture. Uh, so the I've already just I've only been here a couple of days and I've already you know sounded uh, used a couple of folks as a sounding board for some ideas around. Uh, how to adopt some uh, low code you know, methods to, to putting some things together, uh, some technical folks in the room. Uh, there's a, a couple of young guys that are starting a, uh, a drone manufacturing company and they were uh, great to talk through a couple of things about drone uh, sensors. Uh, so there's some of that organic conversation that's gonna be great. Uh, the, the advice around marketing, building and defining a business model uh, knowing your numbers before you try to go seek uh, funding. That's that's the the key pieces of help that I'm trying to get from the program uh, because I want to apply to VIPC uh, to get some uh, pre-seed uh, funding once I have enough evidence to, to justify that. Uh, the other thing I'm doing is I applied to a new incubator around ag tech called Ag Launch. Uh, they do a virtual catalyst program and their whole focus is connecting early adopter farmers with entrepreneurs that are trying to explore ideas uh, so that you can get that direct feedback from uh, from a farmer. Uh, so I'm waiting to see if uh, I was selected for that uh, later, uh, actually this month in June. Uh, and that will give me a good sprint forward on some of that customer discovery. But like you said, I, I'm my next step is to go walk around, talk to actual farmers, meet with, with some agronomists and see how how they are adopting some of these services and what what their challenges are with tailoring that data and delivering it in a way that makes it easy for a farmer to make decisions with it. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate you. I mean, taking some of these uh, more direct questions and they're not, some are, they're certainly directed towards you. However, I mean, for other people that are listening, I mean, these, these are things that they need to be thinking about. And so to, for, to hear them they're listening to us ask you these questions and then they're able to hear your response. That's really, really beneficial to the listeners. So I appreciate you being a, a good sport, uh, you know, and, and helping out the, the listeners, especially being on the podcast. Now it's all evergreen material that people can go back. And uh, Andrew's probably uh, timestamping this in terms of so that, Hey, these are the things you need to think about, get out there and stop wasting time. So uh, appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the that's one of the reasons why I was excited to, to, to come on is because I'm, I'm, I'm early enough, but I'm leveraging the resources in the 757 uh, and I'm starting to see how that's going to help me navigate the, these next you know, six to nine months, hitting some initial setting and hitting some initial milestones. Uh, and uh, that is uh, hearing that part of the story is something I, I didn't hear a lot on a lot of other podcasts. Usually you're hearing about people who are, you know, getting their, their, uh, series A and talk, hearing their story about getting through Series A, uh, that, that earlier part of the journey where there's a, more uncertainty, uh, you're still trying to uh, refine not your not just your story but your understanding of uh, of a business model and uh, you know the the immediate go dos to actually launch. Uh, that it's uh, I'm excited to to be going through this journey and after. Uh, seeing what this program offers, uh, I can see that, you know, not every, you know, start, obviously entrepreneurship is a, is uphill battle and few uh, actually succeed, but 
if you leverage the resources to the full extent uh, that are available, even even in the East Coast, you know, in Silicon Valley, but you can be successful. You just have to make smart decisions with the right information. Well, and, and that that as well. And Zach and I have talked about this a lot. It's uh, that the people that do well, the people that succeed more than the others, are the ones that answer the the door of opportunity when it knocks. A lot, not not everyone has the courage to come on the show, expose uh, th themselves, so to speak, or their business what, you know, at such a young stage, but it's super important because you're able to get feedback. And the other thing that's really important is that the, everyone in the audience is, is they want to help. They, they, and, and you're showcasing, hey, these are the things that I haven't figured out yet. And so they listen to the show and they can, hey, Dennis, man, I have expertise in this. How can I help? You could find potential customers. I mean, there, there's a whole array of things that you can, that you'll get as a result of doing the show. So, I mean, kudos to you. Well, and I, and I think one of the reasons why it's so important to start, start actually doing instead of theorizing is because people can just keep it in their head. They can talk to the wrong people and think they're moving forward when they're not. Right. I mean, I, the, the platform that you're going through right now, I've, I, I've done for the last 15 years. So like, I get it. And when people are like, well, this is what I want to do. I go, just go talk to someone. Like go, go talk to the person who you think is actually your customer and, and see what happens. Here's what I think is going to happen in that situation because I've done that 15 times before. And then I think it's interesting where people are like, no, that's not going to happen. And so I remember like not, uh, there was a, a company that was trying to sell um, ammunition in a, um, like a Uber kind of way or a marketplace kind of way. And they were like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to sell this at, di or we're going to, um, we're going to let people know when they can get ammo at, uh, you know, uh, cause I guess it, I, don't, I don't own a gun or, or, or bullets. So I don't know this very well, but like if you're at Walmart or Dick's or wherever and you're buying it, I guess it goes off the shelf very often. So they wanted to have a platform where you could figure out where it was. And I was like, Here's the problem with what you guys are proposing is you're expecting that store number 434 in Cheyenne, Wyoming is going to communicate with you guys. And what I learned through Carrie Norfolk, which is just, you know, 12 restaurants on Granby Street, is it's very difficult for them to tell you that they are 86 hush puppies or fries. And you have a one on one relationship with those 12 restaurants. What makes you think that that that? you know, Dick's Sporting Goods Store 4337 uh, in Cheyenne, Wyoming is going to communicate with you. And it was interesting. Three months later, they're like, you're right. They're they're not going to communicate with us. And I was like, but that's why you need to go talk to those people so that you can't just theorize these things. You actually do it. And I think what happens, myself included, Tim, I'm sure, has done this a billion times as well. Maybe a million because he's I'm I'm I fail billions more than, than if you're than not Tim. failing you're not trying hard enough sure but you have to you have to you like like go talk to the real people i know it's difficult it's scary whatever if you're not willing to do that just don't start a business it's that simple right and and figure out what they say and a lot of times uh the most of the time they're gonna they're gonna disagree with your theory but if you are nice to them they might say hey here's where our real problem is and they might actually open up the checkbook right then and there. Do people still write checks? I don't know. And then you have a real option there. And so it's it's don't just do the research. Actually talk to people. And I'm not saying that you're not doing these things. Clearly you are. But you got to get out there and, and see what's going to happen.
Yep. Yeah, that's the that that's the stage we're in. I've done a lot of the you know the broader you know research. I understand you know kind of the the global indicators for where the smart agriculture industry is going. Uh, you know, stats like seventy percent of it, it could be benefited or is leveraging some form of remote sensing uh, for monitoring crop uh, crop detection. Uh, I can see that the broad waves or the broad brushstrokes. Now this is getting the pencil out and using the tip of the pencil to, to refine what those, especially with a minimum viable product that can deliver a service that someone will pay for. What does that actually look like? And you're not going to figure that out unless you talk to people who are the ones that are trying to decide, will this actually help me save 10 to 15% on my nitrogen costs? And, and can you convince me that, that it will? Can I ask you something? Sorry, Tim. I, I, let me ask you something about like big business agriculture, like people losing money uh, or spending away money because of fertilizer, things like this. Like, I feel like MVP has gotten very buzzwordy. People are super hyped into it, whatever. I don't think that every business is interested in prototype style things. I don't think that every industry is interested in MVP style of things. So how, how are you going to address that when this is like literally people's livelihoods in something like an MVP and the service could or couldn't completely wipe out what they've done. How, how, how are you going to handle that type of thing in the MVP style of um, vernacular, if you will? Yeah. I, th I mean, obviously the, the, the easy answer to that is, you know, creating a, a, a free version that gives you just general uh, the initial level of information that, that is very low cost, but uh, I'm, I'm not as a big an advocate of the freemium approach, uh, but meeting them where they're at. So that's why, you know, identifying that uh, the who are the early adopter farmers that are uh, tech aware uh, and data aware. Uh, and then meeting them where they're at is basically delivering something that either can be uh, integrated into a tool that they're already using for, for farm uh, management, whatever platform uh, they're using. Or something as easy as you know a mobile app that they download that they can check as easy as you know someone can check their Instagram feed. Uh, that uh, it's actually surprising how simple you can make the delivery of some of this information, uh, and that that simplicity uh, is you know what I think will be a differentiator, differentiating on design instead of uh, data to some extent. You know, I don't need to give you a thousand data sets if I just give you the right data in a very simple way that takes you five minutes to check uh, in the morning with your cup of coffee. Uh, that is the easiest path to entry as far as I understand it. Uh, and that uh, there's, there's a, a vibrant uh, ecosystem of players that are increasingly realizing that they need to be more open and not creating silos uh, of data that traps farmers data in their platform. So I'm looking at some of those companies as potential partners because they're realizing that data brokering, data sharing, collaboration actually builds more value for everybody than creating a stovepipe that uh, that may turn a lot of uh, farmers off. One thing that's really uh, interesting to me your, uh, is the military background that you have. Um, how long were you sitting on this idea? I mean, or did it take some time? Because you're you're sitting there you're at your desk cube, whatever the case is. And, and like, are, are you watching this technology and the use cases over a period of time? Uh, is it was a matter of waiting for cost to go down? How long were you, uh, was this 
bouncing around in your head before you're like, man, I got, I, I can't pass up this opportunity. Uh, I would, I would say that. So it was actually during 2020 when I went through the ICAP program, uh, you know, doing, you know, a hundred plus interviews. Uh, I was looking at real estate uh, and uh, construction at that time. Uh, and then I realized uh, when I saw what drone up was doing, I was like, what I'm building is too much like drone up and they're already going to be successful. So I don't want to, I don't want to compete uh, with that type of platform. So I, it was at that time that I started to look at maybe, maybe I want to do something different and more better leverage my understanding of, uh, of the, these, the data life cycle in remote sensing uh, study of the, the agriculture you know, market kind of took me back to my childhood a little bit, you know, riding around you know, on the tractor with my dad and watching my grandfather, you know, tend to his, uh, you know, couple acre, uh, crop farm. Uh, I started to think, you know, agriculture, what I would love to see is a reverse migration back to farms uh, by people instead of, you know, these huge conglomerates uh, taking over everything and, and family run farms basically not being able to, to cut it anymore because of the costs. So I kind of view this as uh, the bigger mission that, that I'd be supporting with the agriculture uh, sector is helping either family-run farms stay profitable, get profitable, or increase profitability, or people realizing that farming with increased autonomy and automation is easier to actually break into than it, than it used to be, uh, or at least to, to support from an analyst uh, perspective. Uh, so when I started to see those broad strokes, I started to realize that th this is not just something I see a technical potential technical solution for, uh, that I'm, you know, pretty confident in. It's also connected to like a bigger mission of uh, of agriculture as a as a lifestyle uh, that uh, we we too often just kind of forget about. And uh, I, I I would love to you know be able to live in the hills and and have crops, but I'm I'm I don't want to you know give up uh, you know eight hours a day riding a truck and a tractor. And but if I can help uh, people who love that. Uh, love that job or help people discover that they would love that job because it's so easy to deal with the data. Uh, that, that sounds like a great uh, outcome that I would have just a small part in supporting. Yeah, I think that's great. What's something we haven't talked about that you want to talk about? Uh, I, I think if there's one thing uh, I would end on it, it, you know, any, any, any entrepreneur to miss an opportunity for an ask would be uh, a terrible opportunity to miss. Uh, the main thing that, that I want to talk to are, are people who are facing these data challenges. Uh, and if you're a farmer, if you're an agronomist and you're like, there are a lot of options out there, but it's kind of complicated and I can't understand uh, what value I get for what I'm paying for. Uh, I'm primed and ready for those conversations. We'll love to explore that. Uh, I'm even willing to go back to my childhood roots and spend a day walking around with a farmer, helping out. I'll do whatever whatever they want, uh, just to even observe and get some questions answered. So I'll throw some sweat equity into a farm here in Virginia, uh, you know, easily, you know, on a weekend. You know, it's funny well, that think... you say that, yeah, just because I'm thinking about like clothing, right? And so like so many people are like, oh, you got to dress to success and all that stuff, like. What do you what do you wear when you show up to a farmer's house or a farmer's location? Like, are, are you do do you wear the farmer outfit? Like, how do you how do you roll into that? Uh, I mean, just a pair of jeans, uh, not a nice pair of shoes, uh, <laughs> and and a polo or a t shirt. Uh, that 
that's gonna that's gonna suffice. One of the things that that I that, that took uh, took away from things that I've heard is that uh, sometimes entrepreneurs will go to pitch farmers, uh, you know, wearing their Silicon Valley vests, uh, and farmers are wearing you know a, a, a t-shirt or a polo and some jeans. Uh, and yeah, you don't need to you don't need to impress a farmer with your clothes. You need to impress them with that your fascination and what they're trying to do. Well, they, they, you know, they'd probably be like this city boy coming in here thinking he could slick me. <laughs> That's such a generalization. I'm sorry. But I mean, it's yeah, you can wear. I, look, I will allow you to wear the Zach Miller special jeans and a black tee whenever you want. Um, feel free to do it. Um, that, that's fine. No, no fancy shoes here. So don't don't worry. I don't have any. I, I didn't know black T-shirt was the color code for the day. If I had known, I would have put every, myself, every myself show. T-shirt on. Every almost show. yeah, almost every show. Uh, unless I'm wearing a jacket because it's freezing in my house, uh, and then you know it's whatever color jacket I'm wearing. But yeah, but yeah, Den I, Dennis, I love what you do. Uh, I would, I would love to, to have the opportunity to check in six, nine, twelve months from now just to see what you have found out uh, and help document uh, this journey. For, one for your benefit, but also to to benefit other aspiring entrepreneurs. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm uh, refining my uh, my key uh, performance indicators here uh, in in a little while, uh, and I would love to report back in six months that I've exceeded uh, my my KPIs uh, and and I'm ready to uh, to accelerate. Yeah, let's book it. Dennis, it's been great. Uh, enjoy the um, you know the black tea jeans uh, lifestyle, and uh, I look forward to six months from now as well. Yeah, yeah take care, guys. Thanks, Dennis. Keep up the running. Every day. Keep it going, Tim. Keep it going.